Hi, this is Chantel Schieffer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first. Welcome to Listen First Montana. I'm Eric Halverson. Today we're excited to bring you the first episode hosted by Leadership Montana President and CEO Chantel Schieffer. Chantel will host many episodes of the show, and we hope to sprinkle in some guest hosts as well. We're all about bringing you a diverse set of voices and perspectives. Before we get to Chantel's interview with Michael Sanderson, please take a minute to subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, please give Listen First Montana a rating and a review. Those small acts of support help us reach more listeners and grow the show. Thanks for listening in. Without further delay, here's Chantel. Hello, I'm Chantel Schieffer, and this is Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. Today, we are in Billings, visiting with Michael Sanderson, a graduate of our class of 2006, and CEO of Sanderson Stewart, a community design organization. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm glad to be here with you. Last time I saw you, we were here in Billings, and you had me come in to co-facilitate a leadership workshop with one of your amazing uh, partners, Danielle, and it was early March, just days before COVID creeped its way into Montana, and everything changed after that. What's, uh, what's going on with you right now? How are things? Yeah, everything changed, right? Um, we, uh, I mean, literally days after that event, um, we sent everybody home and went to went back to work in our remote locations and um it's been a a lot of change ever since um you know we're as an organization thriving i would say all things considered um and that's you know it's about the resilience of our people and um you know how how are we doing? How am I doing? Mm-hmm. Um, probably a lot like everybody else. We're kind of figuring it out as we go, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, it's just about solving the problems every day. And, you know, every day there's a new new challenge or a new problem. And so you solve that one and then you solve the next one. And mm-hmm. um, so far so good, I think, as far as that goes. Um but it's got its level of stress and anxiety that wasn't there before, and um, that's something that we're all trying to figure out how to manage through. And you know, there's there's all the regular stresses of 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 work and life, and then there's this layer right now that wasn't there before that just you know makes it that much more challenging for for people and and leaders and and everyone. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about your company so we're 50 years old but um i always uh cringe a little bit when we talk about 50 years old because it's easy to land on the old (laughs) and um 
we've really reinvented ourselves as a company in the last uh, five or ten years, such that I, I think as, of us more as a as an entrepreneurial startup than a fifty year old company today. Why has that reinvention been important to you? Well, I think change and growth and change is um, fundamental to our organization, but f- honestly fundamental to any organization being successful over a long period of time. Um, and it's important to me because it's at the, the change, change is energizing to me, you know, because I see it as opportunity to improve, um, to learn, to grow. Um, and so it's really part of our culture. I think, you know, we're constantly, um, looking at ways to, change and innovate our organization um without it it's it just becomes stagnant and the rest of the world's moving too fast Mm -hmm. um and will pass you by pretty quick if you're not actively trying to disrupt your own status quo so what does the current time that we're in right now prevent present to you for opportunities for change and growth like how do you see sanderson stewart kind of adapting over the next five ten years based on kind of what we're seeing right now in 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 our culture um in our societies well there's a lot of moving parts right i mean covid itself has forced a lot of organizations to reevaluate they did the way they were doing business partly because we have to in the short term we have to do business different way. Um, and that's, you know, it's kind of proof of concept in some respects of how do we work better in remote virtual teams. We were doing a lot of that already, fortunately, mm-hmm. because we were able to fairly seamlessly transition into that because um, we already had a lot of that going on. But it's forced us to get better at that f- rapidly. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, some of that will stick. Um, I've read and heard a lot of people talk about like the, the, you know, the, the office as we know it is dead. Like people won't come back. I don't, I'm not in that camp. I think we're already seeing the negative consequences Mm -hmm. of that. And I think we're only going to see more of the negative consequences of isolation, the social isolation, the lack of, relationship building and stuff that happens with and 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 the collaboration our our business being a design uh business is very collaborative and Mm -hmm. while the technology is good it's not as good as you know being in the same room and so i think the office is going to change we're going to have more people working remotely more often than we did before. Mm-hmm. And so I think the way we use our offices is, is going to change. Um, and that's probably a really good thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to redesign the way our offices function, the way they're laid out, the types of spaces people have available to them. Mm-hmm. But I think the office may become more important, but we'll use it different ways. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm excited to figure that out. Yeah. Any other ways you see opportunities for, for change in this, in this time that we're in? Opportunities for change. I mean, I think the other opportunity here 
is along with rethinking the way our organizations operate and the way we just interact is to use it as an opportunity to design our organizations for the new workforce. I mean, I think largely the way our organizations are designed, function, operate, the way our office is laid out, you know, they date to the industrial age. Mm -hmm. Like we haven't largely innovated our organizations for more than a century. Um, And then we can't figure out why um, millennials, who are the largest cohort of our workforce today, and Gen Z after them, um, why they don't love working for our organizations. Mm -hmm. Like, Like why we are struggling to engage this new workforce. And it's like, it shouldn't be a surprise. Like we haven't changed the way we, we do business. And so I think this is a huge opportunity to do a couple of things um, at the same time. Um, But how do, how do we rethink the way we engage that young workforce of the future? What are some of your ideas? Well, I don't know if I have a great answer for you <laughs> right now. Um, you know, I what I'm hearing is people don't want to work in the office all the time. They also don't want to work home all all the time. The but the the catchphrase is flexibility. Mm-hmm. The flexibility to work where they want. You know, where they have high quality of life. Um, on a more flexible schedule, um, and we are we can accommodate that now, mm-hmm. and we didn't used to be able to. Um, and really, only in recent years is some of the this kind of convergence of certain technologies come together in the last few years that's allowed us to do that. So, I think that's a big part of it. Um, but there are so many layers to. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's a, it's a yeah. big problem to, to address, and I applaud you for, for you know, starting to think about it. And as, as our generation starts to you know, grow into those bigger leadership positions, and it's, it's our opportunity to make space for, um, for the, the, the next generations coming behind us. And they do think and act and work a lot differently than, than we do. The other thing that I think is a good thing about the new workforce is they are much more and I'm painting with pretty broad strokes, uh, but they are much more motivated by, you know, social and, uh, social justice, environmental issues. Um, you, you name it, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they want to work for organizations that are, engaged um in you know causes and and greater than just a paycheck mm-hmm. right there's the the mission the purpose of the organization the triple bottom line you know those types of things are much more important uh to this workforce than than generations past and i i mean i personally think that's a super positive thing mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly the reason our organization um, 
is, I think, having some success in in attracting talent uh, is because that's something we've embraced for a while. Mm -hmm. I mean, our purpose as an organization, our purpose statement to plan and design enduring communities, it doesn't say anything about doing civil engineering. It's about creating quality of life. It's about making the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what our underlying purpose as an organization is um, and trying to, you know, to do those things, to give back to, to the communities we work in. Um, I think that's more and more important than it, it was in the past for, mm-hmm. for this workforce. And, and I think that's a good thing. I do too. Thank you for doing that and embracing that. It was such uh, importance. How do you communicate that philosophy and those values to potential um, job seekers, the new, the new workforce? How, how do you communicate that? Well, any way and every way we can. Um, you know, I think we try to uh, incorporate that type of message into certainly all of the things you would assume are, are corporate, you know, marketing materials and website and, you know, th- those types of things. But we make it an active part of how we do business and the things we communicate. I, we provide to everybody in our company a, 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 we call it our culture field guide that they can carry with them that talks mm-hmm. about some of these things. Um, I bring copies of it to meetings, and when our leadership team gets together, we have copies on the table. And, you know, I just actually had the opportunity to do some onboarding with two new employees this week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I make a point of, as the CEO spending an hour or two with every new employee talking about our purpose, our vision as an organization, talking about our culture guide and, and the history of the company and why we do the things the way we do them. And, you know, just that type of one-on-one communication, Mm -hmm. um, every chance we get. Another thing that I think you do really well at Sanderson Stewart is you've you've built a, a culture of leadership and you've built a culture of leadership Montana. Tell me you've had a number of of alumni um, work in your company and you're a consistent supporter of of our work and having participants just about every year. Tell me why that's important to you. Well, you know, on on one level, it's just p- participating in Leadership Montana. Um, I was in t- class of 2006, which is the second second year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason I didn't apply for the first year was because of conflicts I had. But uh, I, Bruce Wittenberg and Sharon Peterson, and you know, had encouraged me to apply. And but it's it's about this culture of lifelong learning, honestly. Um, and I think lifelong learning is goes hand in hand with leadership and so you know cultivating and growing leaders within our organization is fundamental to the success and longevity of a company how do you sustain a company for 50 years you know you've got to have a pipeline of leadership all the time Mm -hmm. and so whether that's you know mentoring people coming up within our organization, but also looking for opportunities to engage them 
in the greater community because we're a community-based company, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, our clients are, are um, active community members. The projects we do um, literally change the face of our communities. Um, you can't do what we do without having a strong connection to the communities where we work um, and having strong relationships there. And that's what Leadership Montana is all about, right, is, mm -hmm. is, is I mean, you learn a lot about the state of Montana, but you're really building this incredible network of, of relationships all the way across the state. And that's so fundamental to um, the growth and success of an organization. Um, and it's just interesting individually as a person to, you know, be involved uh, at that level. And I think um, we've, ever since I participated uh, in Leadership Montana, we've made a point of, you know, every year or two sending somebody else through the, mm -hmm. through the program, as you know. So. Yep. Yeah, thank you. We love building cultures of Leadership Montana in those organizations, and I, we're always looking for opportunities to do more of that. And, and yours is an example that I often tell, you know, new businesses that are just starting to build that relationship is, you know, look at Sanderson Stewart, look at A&E. These are organizations that have a deep leadership Montana connection. And as you know now, we're starting to try to bring some of the leadership Montana curriculum in the yes. Gracious Space curriculum uh, into our company mm -hmm. and starting to teach that uh, amongst all of our staff. Yeah. So it's, it, it definitely goes both ways. Yeah, absolutely. So let's zoom out a little bit and, and just look through a lens of Montana in, in general. And I wonder what you see as some challenges and opportunities facing our state right now. Well, there's many, right, mm -hmm. uh, both sides. I, I think one of the biggest challenges Montana is facing, maybe the biggest challenge Montana is facing, is this tug-of-war between the old Montana and the new. Mm -hmm. um, I think the mystique of Montana, the nostalgia for what Montana was or is in people's image of, of the, the old West rugged individualism of, you know, of Montana the, you know, we, we've obviously got vast natural resources um, and whether that's the natural resources that we've extract, we want to extract, we've been extracting like, you know, coal and minerals and timber and, but also just the landscape that attracts people here and just all of those natural resources. Um, and then this new economy of, you know, we can work anywhere now. And so there's the the tech startups and the whatever those jobs are that, you know, I can live in Montana, I can do that job here, and I want the quality of life that Montana brings. And it's created this tension between wanting to attract that new economy, that new workforce, um, that, and, the, and those new dollars but not wanting to lose the old Montana. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really hard. And 
we're, I think we're seeing that in our communities. We're seeing that in our politics. Um, and we're in this transition that um, has a lot of people holding back, like we don't want Montana to change. But at the other, on the other hand, it needs to change if we're going to survive in the new economy. And I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, it's it's going to be a struggle, mm-hmm. and we're we're in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a big challenge. Like, because I've I've got an 18 year old daughter mm-hmm. <laughs> who's um, very open minded, very worldly. We've traveled a lot. She's seen seen lots of places around the country and the world. She knows what what's out there and she's just started college and I think if Montana she loves Montana but at the same time I can tell you right now from what I, <laughs> that if if we can't figure out how to embrace that that new economy I would be surprised if she stays mm-hmm. and that's that's unsustainable for the state if talented young people like that don't see this as a place they want to stay Mm -hmm. um and so i think we got to figure that out Mm -hmm. and that's our biggest opportunity right i think two sides of that coin right the biggest opportunity is how do we do that how do we not ruin everything we love about montana um but embrace the new stuff that we need to to be you know to attract a a frankly a more open-minded uh group of young people mm-hmm. um that you know want to be here but they they need to see some change happening and i'm hopeful we can get there mm-hmm. you and i both um have a strong affection for the town of bozeman where we went to college and you are an adjunct professor at MSU right now, right? Yes. And I see when you talk about the tug of war between old and new, I see like Bozeman is kind of ground zero for that tug of war. Oh, it's yeah, it's it's palpable. It's right in front of your face when you're yeah. in Bozeman, right? Mm-hmm. The great things that we loved about Bozeman. I went to school there in the in the 80s through the mid-90s uh, and have spent a lot of time there ever since. But you think about the the way Bozeman was then and what's there. And, and that Bozeman's still there in my mind. Uh, you know, Bozeman and all the things that we love about it are still there. But then there's this new Bozeman that's also there. And that tug-of-war is, is kind of front and center when you're in Bozeman. But that's happening statewide on a bigger scale. Um, and, you know, I don't know that, uh, we've quite come to grips with how to manage that. I don't even know if we've started to have the conversation about how to manage that in a, in a thoughtful way. Not in a constructive way. No. I mean, we, I hear the, the pejoratives that we use, you know, we refer to Bozeman as Boz Angeles Mm -hmm. and we, you know, and there's all sorts of things like that. And, you know, if if somebody moves here from out of state, particularly California, mm-hmm. we make fun of them. And you know, I mean, we, we we don't have constructive conversations though about what that means mm-hmm. and the opportunities it might provide um, if we manage that the right way. Mm-hmm. 
I really don't think we've come to grips um, with that. I mean, one of the, I mean, this is, I don't want to get too wonky about policy, Please. but, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, just tax, our tax structure and the discussion of tax reform and, you know, we don't want to have a statewide sales tax or a local option tax. And many would say, well, we need to have comprehensive tax reform. And, and I don't disagree with that and that we probably need comprehensive tax reform of some sort. Um, but just stepping back 30,000 foot level, the tax structure in this state was built for an old economy. You know, we taxed, we had railroads and agricultural properties and extractive industries. And so we have a tax structure that heavily favors property taxes and excise taxes Mm -hmm. um, because it was built to take advantage of that economy. Well, you know, the new economy doesn't work that way, right? I mean, tourism's the second biggest industry, or I think mm-hmm. it has been. Um, these tech businesses uh, that are selling services and products um, but don't own anything, um, you know, we need a tax structure that um, embraces the new econ- economy or we're just going to continue to struggle to make ends meet uh in our, you know, our public budgets, uh, which we're struggling with right now. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that the economy isn't strong in Montana. We're just not, we haven't restructured our system of taxation uh, uh, to, to match the present reality. Have you, have you ever considered running for office? <laughs> have I considered it? Very, very briefly. <laughs> you know, I get asked that question from time to time. I think I love the idea of the citizen legislature, um, the which, you know, where you could go to, to Helena or to Washington and, 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 and make some positive change. Um, I think, unfortunately for me, the the tone of of politics, the the today, the um, influence of money in politics, and what that r- requires of you to be in politics today, is n- a little distasteful to me. And I, I. I've made the decision that I can be more influential and have a greater impact running a very community-focused business um, and teaching at Montana State University and educating young people. And um, that's kind of where I've put my focus mm-hmm. is is in my private sector uh, opportunities and in education. Mm-hmm. And thank you for all of that. You mentioned the the tone right now of of our society is challenging, and one of the goals of Leadership Montana is to bring diverse perspectives together to have these challenging conversations in really thoughtful and respectful ways. 
How has, um, and our podcast is titled Listen First, because that's the first hmm. line of our um, our tagline, listen, learn, lead. So tell me about what what that means to you, listening first, and bringing those diverse perspectives together to have hard conversations. Listen first. Um, you know, listening is an important tool of leadership um, and probably one that I struggle with more, as more than anything you know when you're when you're a when you're a leader you're a content expert um, you it's easy to to you know jump to conclusions jump to answers jump to solving the problem without really listening um, so I think it's probably the thing I work on the most as an individual but but more broadly as a as a society I don't think we're listening much at all right um, you know there's listening superficially like I heard you but I did did I really understand you is the nuance like I think from a leadership perspective listening to actually understand and that requires a level of empathy right you've got to be able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes uh and listen from their perspective like why do they think that why are they saying that and you know that's something i don't see happening much <laughs> right? right um and you know one of the things that i think is causing i don't know if it's cause or symptom but the way we we label people um has become epidemic mm -hmm. right um i use people immediately label you as a liberal or a conservative or a republican or a democrat or a whatever right you know and if you start with the label you've already stopped listening at some level right you've uh mm -hmm. you've said okay i already understand i already placed you in a box of how i who i think you are um based on this label and versus you know i was in a conversation last week with someone who you know proceeded to lead with their own labels like well, you know, I'm a this, and I'm a, I, w I was like, I don't even want to know that. Like, can we talk about the the issue or the policy debate we're having without mm. the labels so that we can actually get down to some meaningful discussion? Mm -hmm. But as soon as we label each other in a conversation or in a debate, we've we've stopped listening already, and I just think it's epidemic. I mean, you you don't have to look very far at our national uh, debate right now. Mm -hmm. um, it's all labels, you know. There's so much power in what you just said, and it's so interesting because just even before you you came here, we were sitting down looking at all of the people we've interviewed and all the people that we plan to interview, and in my constant quest for finding balance, I labeled you know, everyone, 
on the list? Are they progressive? Are they conservative? Except for you. And I got to yours, and I said, I, I legitimately don't know where he lies on the political spectrum. You don't have to tell me. And that's awesome. Right? Yeah, that should be the goal. <laughs> right? So I'm a, I would, I'm a raging independent. <laughs> I love that. Can I join you in <laughs> yes. that in that new political but party? But it's it's super hard yeah, it to super hard. maintain that. Yeah. Um, and you know because everybody wants to put a label on you, mm-hmm. and it's like, can we sit down and talk about this issue and talk about our differences of opinion on how we might want to solve that or approach that um, based on ideas. And, you know, there's when I sit down with people and we start talking about issues that are controversial, and if you were to just listen to the national debate, you would think that there was this, there were two camps. Mm-hmm. And you find out that 70 or 80% of people are somewhere in the gray area in between. There's so much opportunity for common ground Mm -hmm. and we can never get there because we've we've boxed ourselves in before we even started right and there's a great quote that i used to have um i think on my bulletin board and i don't anymore but was from senator mcmansfield Mm -hmm. um you know and he he said something to the effect i'll probably get it wrong but you I've know, got the, it on my phone. I can pull it up. The power <laughs> of the United States Senate lies in the center. Mm-hmm. And he said, he went on to say, not with the people who are so convicted of their own opinions that they can't see the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the power of so many organizations, uh, so many uh, opportunities to solve real problems is to not worry about the 10% on either extreme that we don't agree on, but focus on the 80% in the middle that we do. And we're not doing much of that right now. We are not. So I'm glad that you weren't able to put me in a... (laughs) (laughs) You're not in a box. (laughs) And I, you know, I, I share that, that, that I can tell it's a passion for you just by watching you talk about it. I share that passion of finding our way back to each other. Um, we, we're not going to make change and progress on the extreme sides of either of these conversations, any conversation. We make progress in the middle. Somewhere along the line, we decided that compromise was a, was a, a bad, bad thing. thing. And yeah. it's like, no, that's where it all get, all the, all the good stuff gets done. So how do we get back to that? Wow, I don't, you know, so it takes leadership, right? Mm -hmm. But it takes the right kind of leadership. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not sure. Um, You know, I think, you know, leaders will step into the void. There's always a leader who will step in into the void. Is Is it the kind of leader we need or not? You know, and we've got a lot of leadership right now going on. Mm-hmm. I'm, I would argue that most of it is not the kind that we need right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you need somehow or another, we need to have some people who are more concerned about doing the right thing than maintaining power or maintaining control, you know. And 
um, willing to, you know, stick their neck out a little bit and take a risk that, you know, they're going to, they're going to do the right thing in spite of whether that means they're reelectable. Right. <laughs> well, and, and that, I mean, what's keeping you out of getting into that arena is the same thing that's keeping me out of getting out of that arena. And I don't want to fight in the arena in that, in the tone and the culture that we have right now of how we elect our leaders. Right. So it's kind of, which is first that do we change the culture? Or do we change the leaders? I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to, that's, keeps me up at night you know culture culture comes from leadership you know, so i was talking about leadership or culture in our company mm-hmm. um i think as more than anything you know the culture needs to come from the top it does come from the top mm-hmm. it will reflect the leadership and i think right now the culture of this country of this state you know is reflecting the leadership we've had, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, it has to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you break through? Um, sometimes it's got to get, I mean, you just study history, you know, sometimes it's got to get really bad before, you know. <laughs> I'm laughing because I don't know how it can get much worse. <laughs> you know, so I'm an optimist, yeah, though. Um, you have to be to mm-hmm. be a small business owner. You don't. I mean, if you're going to get up every day and show up. Uh, you're doing it because you think that the work you're going to put in is going to make the place better and more successful the next day. If you didn't, you wouldn't go anymore. And you know, I. So I'm an optimist. Um, I'm also a bit of a student of history and. While I think everybody's got a megaphone right now because we can scream at each other on social media or, or, or whatnot that didn't used to be there before, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they're like, I don't think this country's ever been more polarized. And I said, you know, we did fight a civil war, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we've had riots in the streets before, um, so... Honestly, there's always been a lot of polarization. We've, I mean, politics is a polarized environment. Um, I do think we have uh, a problem with how polarized our political parties have gotten. But as a country, um, we've been through things as bad or worse. Um, and I'm confident we'll figure this out. Mm-hmm. But it 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 could be messy getting there. It is. I mean, mm-hmm. we're we're exp- we're in the middle of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hopeful that we'll have leaders step up. Um, I think you know when when the when the need is there, leaders show up, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm hopeful that that we'll we'll have some of those people who will step up. Me too. And I will encourage them. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a book that I've read and, and have given to just about everybody, Eric included, our producer who's looking at me. He's like, yeah, she's going to talk about Love Your Enemies. <laughs> Love Your Enemies is this great book that I read um, over the summer. And it's all about how we kind of break through that culture of contempt by listening, by having real conversations again. And we're so hindered right now from that because of the pandemic and the conversations, most of the conversations that we're having are 
are through social media and we just have to find a way to get back to each other and and, and recognize that our differences are smaller than our similarities. So I have that book. You do? Yes. yes. Um, and I actually, so um, Brooks, um, who wrote it, um, is now a professor at the Harvard Business School. You know him. And I was able to uh, participate in a lecture with him just this past January. Um, and, you know, he, he, he was the president of a conservative think tank. Mm-hmm. Um, but his, yeah, his, his message, and, and he writes, uh, he has a podcast and mm-hmm. writes regularly for The Atlantic and um, super smart guy. And, yeah, everybody needs to read that book. Everyone needs to read that book. And can you introduce me to him? I'd like well, to Well, I wouldn't call it, say I'm on a first-name basis, but I... <laughs> I want to have him do some work with Leadership Montana, especially now that we're doing so much virtual. I really do want to like, find a way that we can do something with him. But if you listen, I mean, even his background. So, like, like so I'm, I'm an engineer, civil engineer by training, right, and a small businessman. Um, but I went to college on a music scholarship, right? And so... Just that, like this diversity of thought, this, you know, looking at something from a very analytical standpoint, but also from a musical, artistic standpoint. You know, it's like being able to hold two different perspectives in your brain at the same time, you know. And uh, Arthur Brooks is, uh, he was a classical French horn player. I mean, he was, mm-hmm. a, he was a French horn player in a professional symphony um, in his first career before he went back and got a PhD and became a policy guru, right? And, you know, but, you know, this ability to kind of hold two ideas in your head at the same time or look at things from different perspectives at the same time is that, that, that trait or that, that kind of mental tool that you need to be able to have. And, and that's where empathy comes from Mm -hmm. that I think we seem to lack <laughs> uh, a lot is this ability to to kind of step out of your one perspective and look at a problem from somebody else's mm-hmm. and and understand that and you know so what you know when i'm recruiting and hiring uh young engineers i love to see those resumes and and those have those interviews with with young engineers who you know have incredible analytical minds but then find out that that their first degree was in english or that they you know were you know had some other thing that they 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 did or there's some other passion that they have that's you know artistic or you know something like that because that demonstrates to me the the ability to kind of look at thing with look at things through two different lenses Mm -hmm. at the same time Mm -hmm. i think that's probably a key to your success in in recruiting and and the, the many awards and accolades that your company receives for being you know one of the best places to work and what was it 20 you said 2014 you received the small business in America, like the small business in all of America was Sanderson Stewart. 
yeah, in 2014, the United States Chamber of Commerce named us America's Small Business of the Year, which was a pretty amazing recognition. Um, as you know, I I don't like talking about awards much um, because I think they it's easy to say, well, we were the best small business in America. We've arrived, mm -hmm. and I guess we're all is good now, and we can kind of sit back and coast now. And that's the risk of, you know, when you when you receive too much praise or too much recognition or you win the big award that you've asp always aspired to, that the, the hard work is done. Mm -hmm. And we're always a work in process. Like our culture, our vision, our purpose as an organization is aspirational. Like we'll never get there in my mind like we're always there's always something to improve on something new to learn and grow and 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 get better the next day and so you know those are waypoints to me um and so i i try to when we when we talk about those things in my company say that's that's great that's a validation that we're on the right path <laughs> but the destination is is a long ways down the road from here what is the destination <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know that I want to know mm -hmm. ultimately um, because, you know, I, I don't think you ever get there. It's, it's always some, um, you know, beacon on the horizon that you're, you're headed to. And when you get to the next waypoint, there'll be one beyond that. Um, you know, we're, we want to keep giving back to the communities that take care of us um, and make them better and, you know, that's that's our mission um it's satisfying to see the work we've done over our 50 years and and the legacy that's created um but you're only as good as your last job you're only as good as your last uh you know the last client you took care of and and that's kind of the the approach but sanderson stewart's you know our 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 message when we turned 50 here this over this last year um was or, or our tagline was 50 years and we're just getting started mm -hmm. you know we really wanted to focus on the next 50 years not the last 50 years i'm so grateful to have this time with you to, to have this conversation um, I've had the, the great opportunity to see you a number of times, tailgates, events, where we talk for five minutes, but sitting down and talking to you for an hour has been just so truly inspiring to me. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, I've got a round of quick questions oh, for boy. you. You ready? What's your favorite sound? Laughter. What brings you joy? My children. Who's your hero? Oh, so many. Um, yeah, my heroes are everyday people. Finish the sentence. Leadership is? Showing up. Nice. If you could live anywhere, where would you live? I would live right here in Montana. Probably um, in the Beartooths. Mm. 
What do you consider to be your proudest accomplishment? Raising independent-minded children. Nice. Um, what are you reading right now? I am reading... I always have several books going at the same time. <laughs> so I am reading Love Your Enemies mm-hmm. uh, by Arthur Brooks right now. Um, I am reading The Plague by Albert Camus. <laughs> Seemed appropriate right now. <laughs> light reading. Yeah. Um, those are two that are on my awesome. nightstand right now. All right, last question. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, The Piano Man. Oh, nice. <laughs> he laughs out loud. <laughs> oh, Michael Sanderson. I'm not good at it. Don't get, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but who is good at karaoke? Oh, thank you so much for this time and for sharing your stories and your, your, your leadership with us right now and with Montana in general. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for tuning in to Listen First Montana. If you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any feedback, especially the kind that helps us identify opportunities for improvement, please email eric, E-R-I-C, at leadershipmontana.org. For Leadership Montana, I'm Eric Halverson, and this is Listen First Montana. Listen First Montana.